From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 349. Today's show is brought to you by Privacy, Pingdom, and Gabby. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Hi, Mike Hurley. You've caught me wandering around Apple, the deserted <laughs> streets of Apple Park. Hello. Are you also incredibly muscular all of a sudden, or is that just Tim Cook? I've used the pandemic to get jacked. Woo! Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tim, Tim makes me feel bad. Like, uh, I did the opposite of what Tim has done during the pandemic. That is a muscular 60-year-old fellow, we decided. Yeah. Bravo, Tim. Spying, going on wires. He's a busy guy. So we've just, about 30 minutes ago from when we were recording... Uh, the event wrapped up. So usual disclaimer at the top of the episode, uh, there is potentially more information out about all of these products by the time you're listening to this. Uh, both of us will cover any additional parts next week. I did get a chance to look at the websites a little, which is norm- not normally something I get a chance to do before we record. But there will also be, you know, there's going to be a bunch of things. People are going to be getting briefings today and the rest yep. of the week. And so you're going to see journalists start to tweet things that are like assertions of facts. And you're going to be like, wait a second, we didn't know the answer to that. And the answer is, somebody at Apple told them that fact. So yep. that, that's still to come. So we'll have all of that kind of stuff next week, for sure, to talk about. Um, For sure. We should start off by assessing the results of the draft. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say it. I beat you. I did it. You beat me. You did it. Year of Mike, everybody. See, now it's interesting again. Just. Just. It was. And it's funny, because I kept score. Mm -hmm, I took, uh, I, I kept score. Um, and then Stephen Hackett just popped up in the Slack with a screenshot of his score, mm-hmm. which is not the official score, but I think is an interesting measure of of uh, what he thinks uh, an unbiased person would score it at. And it matched my scorecard exactly. Yeah, I ha- so basically where it kind of fell down on was the new Magic Keyboard. I gave you that point, but would have argued that point. If otherwise, yes, it's the most arguable point is does it does adding a does adding a white version of the existing magic keyboard make it new mm-hmm. um, or alternately, if they introduce a bunch of new magic keyboards for the Mac that might work with the iPad, but are this is in the iPad pick section would that mm. count? I think the white is arguable. Yeah. Um, but it didn't matter because we ended tied. We ended and tied. you won the tiebreaker, mm-hmm. so it didn't really matter. Because it was under 75 minutes. I should have picked a number lower than 75, although there was a point early on where I thought, oh my God, it is going to be longer than 60 minutes because Tim is introducing lots of things before we even go to the products. And But no, clearly, they, they're they very disciplined. They're like, no, we're going to make this run at 60 minutes. So much so that I'm really glad we didn't set the over-under at 60 minutes. Because I don't know how I would judge that. It felt like they landed right on 60 minutes, but it might have been a second over or a second under. I, I don't think know. it's clear that they want to keep it to an hour because yes, they blasted through the first yep. section and yep. arguably stuff like many of those things needed more time mm-hmm. and they just refused to give it. Probably, yeah, probably could have been a 70 minute, 75 easy. minute thing, but oh, it wasn't. Easy. No. no, I think, you know how everybody needs uh, guidelines, right? I think that they have settled, this is three in a row where they've mm-hmm. done this. I think Apple has decided that for an event like this, um, you should you should shoot for 60. Like mm-hmm. you should fit in a 60 minute time window. And, yeah. and that's what they did. 
And maybe the fall, one of the fall or the fall event can go longer. I mean, you know, if you think about it, they did three one-hour events for fall this year. Uh, so I could imagine maybe the September event, if it's still presented this way, would go over an hour because there's more stuff going on. But other than that, they keep to an hour. So just a very yeah. quick recap. So we will score you on 5G support on iPad Pro, new Magic Keyboard, iMac of Apple Silicon, new iMac with new colors, podcast-related announcement, and Apple Fitness Plus mention. I got one iPad Pro using a new screen tech, USB 4 and iPad Pro, new iMac has smaller bezels, new iMac has iPad Pro uh, design, AirTags, Apple TV, and I got the tiebreak. So we have started yep. the year with some six, order six. restored to the universe. That's, that's right. We finally, it's a, it's, a, it's a competition again after mm-hmm. I swept you out of last year. Mm-hmm. And I love that. For, I did not throw this, uh, but I love that. And in fact, I would say, Mike, for me, I think the entire event in terms of the draft scoring came down to us trying to divine a specific marketing decision on Apple's part, which is you and I both figured the chip in the new iPad Pro would essentially be an M1. Mm -hmm. And we had two options on our our draft sheet. Mm -hmm. One was chip in the iPad Pro is an M1. And one was chip in the iPad Pro is a variant of the A14. Even though we, it's the same chip, we knew what chip this was going to be. And I picked, they're going to just call it A14X. And they didn't. They called it M1. They just they decided to roll their M1 marketing and have that halo also fit around the iPad Pro. And by not making that guess, um, I fall into the, the tie with you and, and you take it on the tie break. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, I'm excited for a, some competition now. Yep. Now it's on. Now, next week's episode is going to be episode 350 of Upgrade, which is very exciting stuff. It ended up coming a week sooner than we expected because we did the emergency draft episode. Uh, and to celebrate, we have a couple of special guests that are going to be joining us next on next week's episode. Oh, this is exciting. So we will be rejoined, as we were a lot, quite a while ago now, by Colleen Novielli and also Navpreet Kaloti. And we're going to be talking all about the new IMAX that is going to be on next week's episode. That's great. I'm very excited to have Colleen back on the show. Yeah, we talked to her a couple IMAX releases ago. And um, and so it's good. And then I, I talked to her at one point in person, I think, because of the Pro Display XDR, because she was um, out in front on that one too. And obviously, IMAX, it's her thing. And so it's going to be great to talk to her about these new IMAX, which are... Um, much newer and more different than the last few iMac releases have been. So there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, we'll talk about the the iMac, of course, in a minute. And also, Nav was who showed off the camera stuff. So ah, cool. That's very exciting. But I thought Colleen Great. was amazing. Uh, today. So basically, you've seen them on the live Apple event. Now hear them on Upgrade next week. Let's talk about Apple Podcasts to begin today. We got to do it now. We tried to order the show in the order of most um, important. And interesting things to us. Yeah. But with one little asterisk, which is also we are podcasters. And so we're <laughs> going to at least touch on the podcast announcements announcements Apple made today. Now, I've read the press release and I saw the video. Yeah, me too. I don't know. I have so many questions. Me too. <laughs> and I don't I don't actually know I'm sure that Apple will tell us more about mm-hmm. how this works mm-hmm. and that more will come out in this week. But I'm sure you and I who who make our living uh, you know, primarily as podcast people have a lot of uh, thoughts about Apple yep. announcing that they're going to do a subscription function that 
it's interesting because this is not Apple Podcast Plus as a service. It is more like the App Store where yes. Apple is basically going to act and the Apple Podcast app is going to act as a, uh, a, a an interface. I was going to say a middleman, which is kind of what it is, between listeners and podcasters and basically take money for uh, premium podcast content, which is something mm-hmm. that up to now has you know, we've all rolled our own systems to do this. Yeah. So to do this, you have to go into the uh, Apple Podcasters program, which is 20 bucks a year, which is basically like the developer program. It's just the podcasters version of that. Um, And it really is, as you say, it is the App Store model. So you set your own pricing um, and it's monthly by default, but you can also have annual options and you can also do free trials and sample episodes, but it's not part of Apple One or Premiere or anything like that. It is purely like a la carte, people can buy in and out of what they want to. Now, the subscriptions go at 70-30 for year one per subscriber, and then it drops to 85-15 for year two. So after somebody is subscribed for a year, your cut of their money goes down uh, by half. So this is just like... Mm -hmm subscriptions in the app store um i mean i have a real problem with that 30 percent, jason i mean i'm just gonna say it now oh i should actually big asterisk around all of this both me and jason operate subscription models and we have yes podcast networks that we manage none of what we are saying here is official for the network so like me and steven have not yet even spoken about this like there is no decisions one way or another being made right now on this show about what relay fm or the incomparable will be doing i just want to state that right this is this is just quick reaction plus we don't know all of apple's story i will say about the 30 percent i i i hear you i one of these days i need to look and see if i calculate out memberful and stripe and all of that what what my revenue split with my enabling technology providers is yeah um I, I should probably do that. I right? think it's probably relatively close to 15. And so 15, pro- I have no problem at all with. Uh, because, well, again, I'll have to do the. I have way less of a problem, I'll say, with 15. Right. When right. I was thinking about this before, because their rumors have been circling for the last couple of days, and I was talking to a friend of the show, underscore David Smith, about this, he actually said to me that he thought they would do it this way. And it hadn't even considered to me to do it more like huh. the App Store than a streaming service, right? Like than a, and it, than a like a And that, it's much plus. better. I, I, much better I was dreading the, the conversation with somebody at Apple saying, really, sign up for our program, which is this, right? We would be those people. We'd be like the Apple News conversation with yeah. newspapers, right? Which is yeah. just, please opt into this thing. It's like, no, I don't really want to do that. In fact, this is probably what Apple News should do too, is just make it a, a conduit where Apple takes a cut. Uh, so Apple's argument here is going to be for the 30% and for why this is good in general is Apple Podcasts is a an incredibly popular podcast uh, client. Yep. It's hard to do what we do in Apple Podcasts. You have to set up a whole external system and you have to walk your users through, your customers through getting in there. They will also probably talk about how Apple is going to use the podcast app to promote stuff. So they're going to say, basically, look, by being on our platform and our very popular app and by driving users to you, uh, you, that's why we're taking a cut, especially in year one, is because we're setting all of this up for you. And my skepticism comes from the fact that I, I really doubt yeah. That very many people discover what we do on podcasts by tapping around in Apple Podcasts, right? Let alone if they discover us, would they then blindly pay us? 
right? Right. No, they would they would discover us and then they would sign free. up and all that. I th- so the really the argument is it's a lot less friction if you are a fan of upgrade to press the subscribe button, pay us money mm-hmm. from within the app and get upgrade plus, right? Just as one example. That that's a, a Apple's ultimate argument is it's just a lot less friction for people who are living inside the podcast app because they've built everything in. So all you have to do is tap a couple of times and we'll see what the details that for me, it all comes down to the details because the challenge here and, and I was fascinated the the co-founder and CEO of The Athletic was one of the people in Apple's pod or Apple's press release about this podcast initiative. And he was like, this is great. We have a lot of people listening to our podcast. This will be easy. And I thought, this is this is really weird because, and it goes to the kind of the big problem I have with this on initial response, which is The Athletic is a subscription-based sports content website. You can't read The Athletic stuff without paying. And they've had this podcast strategy, and it's sort of been weird because you can listen to their podcast as a subscriber to The Athletic. Some of them, or maybe most of them, are now available publicly with ads. It's always been this kind of thing, weird thing where they haven't done something like we've done. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, I can see why for them, having a system inside Apple Podcasts is actually a nice integration, except for one thing, which is they have their own subscriber base. And I, as a paying subscriber to The Athletic, am not going to pay them more for their podcasts in the Apple Podcasts app. I'm not going to do that. And I don't think most subscribers would. I'm going to pay for two subscriptions to The Athletic. But my guess is going to be that Apple is not going to like let you log in with your outside username and password to get access to subscription podcasts, right? They don't want that. That's not what they're trying to do. But you might be able to generate codes, maybe? I don't again, so I don't like, know. there's a lot of technical it's a mystery. So like for example, with our memberships, you get like a newsletter and Discord access, right? Now right. my assumption would be there's no way we could honor that with an integration like we have through Memberful. Unless Apple provided some sort of API where you could yeah. authenticate that they're a subscriber. But for a first cut at this on Apple's part, I really doubt something like that is there. But it might be. I don't we don't know. We no. don't know, right? But that so what you what you risk is having parallel membership plans mm-hmm. if you're outside of Apple Podcasts like we are where you've got two different membership plans with two different sets of functionality. Within Apple Podcasts, you've got one thing, which is the podcast, which is great because that's the primary thing. That's what you're really paying for. Um, And the rest of it is like the community and all the other extras and stuff like that. Um, So that's weird. And then I I just want to lay one other thing on it, which is there's no app review for podcasts, as far as I can tell. It's not like they're listening to podcasts. Well, not for each episode. There is a review team, a human review team that's been around for a long time. Oh, yeah. No, that's not what I'm talking about, though. What I'm talking about is when you submit an app to app review, they check it. They don't check podcast episodes. No. And I know that there may be some terms, but which is complicated itself because those are terms of what you're allowed to say on your own podcast, which I have a problem with. But does this lead to people saying, oh, we also have a community. If you want that, here's what you need to do. Unsubscribe from Apple. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and go oh, to I our see. thing yeah, where yeah. we get more mm-hmm. money and mm-hmm. then do it there, which is something that would get you rejected if you were an app. But in a podcast, what happens then? I don't know. It's fascinating. My, I really am looking forward to hearing more about it from Apple. My overall feeling on this is they have done this the right way. And I am really pleased about what they have actually implemented here because it is, by and large, 
focused in the best way for podcast creators. Like I yes. unequivocally believe that. Like this uh, is the way who, to do who it. Who better? Who who more qualified to talk yeah. about how a bunch of a pain it is to set up a podcast support and subscription system than people who've done it, right? It's yeah. like this is this is so good from the side of it which is easy to pay mm-hmm. as a user. Uh, uses Apple's existing stuff. You're going to have Apple's credit card information feeding it, so people are much less likely to let their, you know, their credit card expire or something like that. There's like a lot to be said for it. I actually think if you're if you're a podcaster, the problem is that this should have happened two years ago or, yes. or three years ago. Because if you're a podcaster who wants to do a thing like this, this is a really great option because it's so easy. Mm-hmm. As far as I can tell, it seems like a really great option. The problem is if you're a podcaster who wants to do this, you probably already did it. <laughs> so I don't know. So yeah, I mean, because as well, like all the big, big podcasts have worked this out this past year if they've wanted to do it, right? People have this stuff. So, I mean, really, it's an interesting time to have launched it. As you say, it's a little late. Um, I'll say from my perspective, I'm happy this didn't exist before we did our own because we would have done this and I think it would have been a hard sell for a lot of our listeners who don't use Apple Podcasts and how we would have navigated that. So my like top level on it is I am not saying that we will do this, but I'm definitely not saying we won't. Because the, the the model that they have given here is pretty fair. I mean, for me, I just yeah. think it should be eighty five fifteen always. Um, because I don't really understand how they can justify seventy thirty. I can foresee using it. Um it's all in the details. Mm-hmm. And what what I don't want to do but might be required is, like I said earlier, to essentially offer it two different ways. Where, you know, if you're using Apple Podcasts and you want to pay us, you can get access to the stuff. Mm -hmm. But everybody else will pay us a different way and we'll get access to the stuff and more stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a two-tiered thing. And that's not great. But, you know, again, that's somebody who spent time building, uh, building things and cultivating things. And then I look at this and I think, yeah, but... So many people listen to Apple Podcasts, and it, and I have helped so many people through the process of trying to subscribe to a members-only feed. I have spent so much time, and I know you guys have done this too, and I know Marco has done this with ATP, trying to come up with ways to build a website that has links to a members-only feed per person that is... You know, that you can tap in the right places and it opens in the right client and it does the right thing. And it's hard. There are bugs in the client apps. I've discovered, literally discovered bugs in podcast clients while working on the incomparable subscription stuff Mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, that doesn't work, even though it's document. And then they're like, yeah, that's a bug. We'll fix it. So, like, all of this effort because you can't just go in the podcast app and go, uh, yeah, I'll just. I'll just pay for that. And it's not for everybody because not everybody uses the podcast app. But for people who do use Apple Podcasts, which is wildly popular, um, it's going to be a much nicer experience. And it's going to enable podcast creators to make money, which is a thing that I support. So yep. yeah, we'll, we'll have to watch it. It's, it's fascinating. And, uh, it has been like, they, they, they mentioned the, when they announced podcast support, which is 2005, I believe, I think I was at the D conference the day that they announced this. And Steve jobs was there mm-hmm. on stage with Walt and Kara. Um, that was 16 years ago. 
and Apple has largely been hands off about podcasts. This is the biggest thing they've done. They said it and they're right. This is the biggest thing that's happened other than launching a podcast app on iOS. This is the biggest thing they've done since 2005. You know, and as the wagons are circling on the podcast industry, like Facebook is getting into podcasts now as of yesterday. Apple's always been like the beacon of like, oh, they're doing it right because they didn't really do anything. And from what we know about other companies that are trying to make money from podcasting, to be honest, this seems like the fairest to to podcast creators that I've seen so far. Um, Because like, look, I'm going to understand the realities of it, right? Like you can't subscribe to premium Apple podcast content in overcast or pocket cast and i would never think that that would be a thing right so like you know you've got to respect the business aspect of it and i think ultimately from what i've seen so far and we'll be spending a lot of time looking at over the next multiple days this at least seems on the face of it to be the 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 truest to what podcasting can be in this new age i would assume because they're not like inserting their own ads trying to make a monetization platform and then taking a bunch of stuff away from podcast creators, which it seems like companies like Spotify are trying to do. Like, right. Anchor just published this big blog post talking about how they want to move away from RSS. It's like, great. Thanks. Yeah. So pleased. All right. Well, we will. there will be more on this yeah. one, uh, every, dear yeah. listener. But, um, <laughs> but we will move on to shiny new Apple products uh, for the rest of this show. Well, first, let's take our first break and talk about Gabby. When it comes to car and home insurance, so many people know that they deserve better. So they're putting their policies to the test and turning to Gabby. Gabby stands for Get A Better Insurance. And getting better insurance with Gabby means finding a better price for the same insurance coverage. Who knew something like this was so easy it even existed? They are the one true comparison platform with real rates. They give you an apples-to-apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive, Nationwide, and Travelers all in one place. You can use your current insurance information to get started, and in just minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage you currently have. And get this, it's totally free. Now, Jason, I know that you plugged your information into Gabby. Could you talk about how easy it was? Yeah, it's they offer a bunch of different options. You can actually have it log into your insurance and download <laughs> your information directly. You can enter it yourself. So there's a few you know easier, harder ways to do that. And then uh, it goes away and it turns for a little while and uh, then comes back with uh, with a bunch of of quotes of based on the same coverage that you're getting currently. Here is what other insurance providers are offering, mm-hmm. and it's funny because a few insurance providers were like, "We are not going to display this information. Um, you have to go in directly." And those are listed in Gabby as well. And then you click on them. Basically, you click on them, and it's a pre-formatted query That's to clever. their website That's where really they clever. display <laughs> those. So if you if if they're gonna not play ball with you, you can uh, click to get those too. Gabby customers can save $961 per year on average. They'll never sell your info, so you're not going to get annoying spam or robocalls. Put your policy to the test like so many others have. Get a better insurance with Gabby. It's totally free to check, and there's no obligation. Go to gabby.com slash upgrade. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash upgrade to check it out today. That's gabby.com slash upgrade. Our thanks to Gabby for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's talk about that iMac. Oh my God, do I want one? It's beautiful. We got colors. We got colors. I I have thought uh, at several points today that I want one, and then the more I read about it, the more I realize I want I want the 
<laughs> it's like very deep thought. It's like I want the iMac that comes after this one yes, because of course, right? it's yeah. got a lot of really interesting things, but it's also got I think the limitations that we were expecting mm-hmm. we might see in an iMac introduced at this place in time, which is it's an M1 iMac. It's got a bunch of limitations. It's also the small iMac, which means presumably there will be the bigger iMac at some point, which is probably what I want. But it is, there's so many things they did here that are such a relief. And I wanted to just start with color because the color, the color, like, I mean, yes, Apple Silicon iMac is great. They made iMacs with colors again, seven colors, not just two colors, not three colors, and not just all various boring shades of gray. They made seven different colors it's like the old days of the iMac and uh they are brighter than i thought because it turns out that various rumor type people who have incomplete information sort of thought that the muted colors were all over the device and it turns out that the chin which still exists beneath the iMac screen it exists in part i think because it's a nice place to put color is a more muted color whereas the reverse of the iMac is super bright and the sides too yeah and the sides uh so if somebody who who lives and works alone and nobody ever sees the back of your computer you're like well who cares about what the back looks like but as we know from talking to uh colleen a couple of years ago so many imacs are in public places they're in hotel lobbies or they're in big office groups or whatever right there are places where the imac is being seen and having those bright colors on the back like i was thinking oh man every hotel front desk that has they're going to have to pick the color that best matches their color scheme but then it's going to be almost like if it's a, a a hotel with orange highlights or 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 purple highlights or whatever it's like well we'll get the purple IMAX and then it'll be like it's our custom branded mm-hmm. IMAX uh that's going to happen because that's a big appeal of the IMAX is in those public places too so it's six colors blue green pink yellow orange purple and then silver i don't really i mean like i just went it's like silver is like a silver default, color right i mean it, it's tech i just wanted to say like not a not color you know, it's like available in six colors and a not color and then i love it you know i wanted to also just say six colors right because yes yeah, thank you i appreciate like, it although the six colors all, and then the, the, although the, the brightest most fun colors cost extra isn't that interesting yeah the yellow orange and purple i believe so you there are four options available in the base and then there's seven uh at the higher price it's the two price configuration options yes Uh, yellow orange and purple are more expensive and you also go from the seven core gpu the, the the differences are so minute you go from the seven core gpu like at the 999 um macbook air to the eight core gpu um and then there are a couple other very it's it's fascinating i'm i'm looking forward to taking a deep dive with yeah. our guests next week about it because there are other questions i've got about sort of like what the low end one has does the low end have an ethernet port it doesn't look it doesn't look like it and has less well none of them have an ethernet mm-hmm. port on the back but there's an ethernet port on the connector the power brick because the iMac has a power brick again yeah. which they spun in a very interesting way as being ah uh, yes but we get it out of your way and there's a beautiful little cable and then then the brick can be on the floor and there's an ethernet jack in there so i'm unclear gigabit ethernet is standard on the expensive one and not on the base one i'm yep. unclear whether that means there's no ethernet at all on that power brick of the low end model unless yep. you upgrade or whether it's it's there but it's not gigabit it's a little mystery because that's fascinating too right we have a brand new in a long history of very quirky apple connectors 
uh, going back to like the, the ADC connector on Power Max back in the day. This is like that. There is a magnetic connector that is apparently Ethernet and power that attaches to the back of the iMac. And then on the floor, you put the box. So looking at the tech specs page, the lower one, the, the so, okay, so there's the cheapest one only has two USB-C or USB-4 slash Thunderbolt ports. And the more expensive gets an additional two USB-C, USB-3 ports. And it's the the cheaper one says configurable with gigabit Ethernet. So my expectation is that the little power brick doesn't have Ethernet in it for that one. Yeah, well, that's that's the question is, does it have Ethernet at all? Or is it not? No, it and I, I, w- I would think it doesn't. I would. Doesn't. I would think that it's like literally an iMac that doesn't have um, wired networking at all. Yeah, because the, yep. the, I can hear somebody at Apple saying, "Who you know? Who needs, who needs it? it?" And also, we need to make this thing cheaper. So, yeah. What are we going to kick off of there? Like two two ports and yeah. How cool is that power thing? I think it's awesome. I like it. Uh, you know, again, cynic in me says they've they've innovated their way to, back to an external power brick for their iMac. But the fact is. Are they right to prioritize a thin, you know, thin all the way back, right on the back of it, not bulgy like the like the current iMacs are, a a very thin iMac, and put the power on the outside. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I can see the argument there about a power brick on an iMac. Like it's just going to live under the desk next to the power cord thing that you've got. Like, well, whatever. who cares? Is people who who don't have that setup. But you're right. I think having it be under the desk is probably better. And having the Ethernet there, as somebody who has th- my Ethernet plug threaded through and often yeah. is is the thing that is is restraining the movement of my iMac i don't mind i mean i already have the power plug coming out if i had the power plug coming out and going down to the floor mm-hmm. and ethernet also in there i would that would be a benefit to me that would actually be an upgrade for me but i i'm sure there's somebody out there who will be very angry that i would just say i said who cares now. i'm sure some people care but like ultimately what does it matter, right? Like the thing just goes on the floor, like the rest of the million power bricks I have under my desk. On the like, floor or Velcroed to the bottom of your desk. How they deal with this with laptops, if they're going to have something like that, will be different. And I'll be intrigued because the reason I say that is this this all but confirms that MagSafe is coming to the laptops because they bothered so. to make a magnetic connector for the iMac when ultimately it doesn't need to be magnetic. You could just plug it in, right? Like right. The, the magnet is, is very, it feels very superfluous for the iMac. Uh, but I think that that's super cool. And and to be honest, like I, th- I think the design of putting the ethernet port on the power adapter to be really cool because it's like, look, we're bringing back a power adapter. Obviously it'd be better if we didn't have one because it would just be like, why add something back? So we're gonna actually give you additional functionality by having doing that and i think that's super cool i would love to see in the future like some kind of upgrading thing where like i could get like a full dock of expandable yeah. expandable ports on one of those i want a usb hub on that thing right yeah i, I do so right and so i can get all that stuff off i hope my desk. That that's something we could see in the future like more Maybe and so. more io on a you know make it more expensive i don't care like the, all of this stuff is so expensive these days anyway all of these ports since everything went to thunderbolt like every dock is like cost you the moon so have something that apple makes have it all go through some kind of upgraded magnetic power connector like i would be into that i think it looks super cool sure so we didn't mention this runs the m1 no changes uh to the m1 by and large no. it seems no, it, it's the same. It's the same yeah. chip with the same limitations. Um, base models are eight 
gigs of RAM upgradable to 16. Um, the big difference is that the more expensive iMac has the four ports on the back, but of course only two of them are Thunderbolt and two of them are just USB, which is, I think, the first time Apple's ever done something where ports of the same shape have different characteristics on the Mac. On the same I don't know. Machine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's on the so. same machine, right? It, it's a, it's, it's not something they like to do, but I think obviously the M1 has some limitations because we, we've seen it with the the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro 13, and with uh-huh. the Mac Mini, which has USB A ports that they added, and here it's not A, it's C. Uh, but again, like they they added ports, and there's a headphone jack on the side, which made me laugh. But uh, yeah, it's uh. It's still the M1 with everything that is limited about the M1. 1080p camera. Better? Yeah. <laughs> not Still not what I would want, but better? Well, one of the things that I noticed throughout this presentation, and it has to do with how Apple, again, it's marketing. They're going to find their best, put their best face forward, right? But so many of their comparisons are to the previous iMac. And so mm-hmm. it's like, uh, you know, twice the resolution of the previous iMac. So yeah, the previous iMac camera was terrible. And it's much faster than the previous iMac. It's like, well, yeah, the previous iMac was slow. So sure, all of that is true and all of that is good. Uh, and with the the uh, image signal, signal processor in the M1, I'm sure that 1080p camera looks nice. But uh, but yeah, it's it. You know, it's sort of table stakes, but they weren't at table stakes. They couldn't sit at the table before. <laughs> I really enjoyed best camera we've ever put in a Mac. It's like, wow, I mean, yeah. it's not a high bar, guys, right? No, like, it's not. Uh, so the the MacBook Pro has a 720p camera. So this is better. 1080 is better than 720. It's a bigger number. Um, I would have wanted to see more here, uh, but they did, I think they did the that. iMac Pro has a 1080p, but it doesn't have fancy... Um, M1 image signal processing, I think. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. I think you're right there. Speakers look great. I mean, sure. Okay. You know. Yeah. I, all right. So, I, as somebody who attaches an external speaker to my iMac, mm-hmm. I have always had this sort of skepticism. The iMac speakers in my iMac Pro sound better than I expect. Every time I hear something go through them, I'm like, oh, that's actually not bad. Uh, it's not as good as my external speakers, but it's not bad. Um, and that's, so this is the thing is like, they're, they're talking about Dolby Atmos and all of that. And it's like, all right, well, I would love to hear these because honestly, I would love to not have a speaker sitting on my desk and have the music come out of my iMac and have it be good enough. But my concern is always that, yeah, but it's not, it's, it's okay. And for people who don't want, care enough to have external speakers and stuff, like you want that experience to be really nice so they can watch a movie on the iMac and have it sound good. But my skepticism is Apple talks a lot about the quality of the sound on their laptops and the quality of the microphones on their laptops, because we got studio quality microphone array on this too. check the box. It's what they've been talking about for a long time on their laptops. And here it is on the iMac. And, you know, it's not what I would consider studio quality. They are doing some stuff to make it sound better. I like that they more pitched it for Zoom calls now than they used to, where they were like, oh, yes, musicians are using it with GarageBand to write songs that that are that they release. And I was like, mm, I, mm, I'm very skeptical of that. So I, I'm mixed between some skepticism. I think Apple overreaches sometimes with the claims they make about these things. But yeah, 
a built-in microphone that's better and has more noise reduction so that you sound better on Zoom is a good feature that should exist because most people don't buy external microphones and most people don't attach external speakers. So the speakers should sound better and I'm glad they do. I'm looking forward to hearing them. I'm just applying a little bit of skepticism about how good they are. (laughs) I would like to hear them for myself, please. New peripherals are super interesting. Uh, Three keyboards, Apple getting into that sweet keyboard game. Like mm-hmm. I guarantee, I, I'm like convinced that they've put these things in color because everybody likes fancy keyboards now. Uh, they're all color matched, including trackpad and mice are color matched. They have a standard one, and then they have uh, a like the regular kind of what is 65% keyboard, and then they have the one with the number pad as well. Yeah. But the in the regular one, and in the one with the number pad, Touch ID. We'd stop talking about that. <laughs> we used to predict this as a future direction for them, and it didn't happen for so long that I, uh, when they announced it, I was like, wow, why wasn't that on our list? Like, that's a thing that's been hovering out there so long that it almost has just faded away, which, which was like, could they put, well, originally it was the touch bar, right? And the touch bar distracted us, but it's literally, can they put two, touch ID on a keyboard, external keyboard? And the answer is yes, they can. And they did. Wireless as well. I mean, you know, that, that yeah. was, I mean, again, like when we were talking about this originally, stuff like the Apple Pay stuff that you you could do on a, on another device and have it work on a on a Mac that didn't exist. So like the, always right. the question was like if they were going to do a Touch ID, does the keyboard have to be wired again? Will we accept that? And then I think we stopped talking about it because it seemed like well then obviously the next thing to do here, considering they've never done this, is just to put Face ID on these machines. Now what we can right. see now is that's not happening anytime soon. No. Um, which look, I think that's fine. Because they now have this. Now, I was begging for them to say we've also put Touch ID on the trackpad because I don't and do not want to use one of Apple's keyboards. So, yeah. which is a shame, but like I can live with it. Uh, but I, you know, I hope that in the future they're able to do that because, I mean, the trackpad seems as useful for having something like that on it as the uh, as a keyboard. But I think this is a really great addition. Um, I think this is an awesome thing that they've done. Um, I know that like, and also you get it in the box. So I think that's super cool. So the low end one, you don't get touch ID in Obviously. the box. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you have to pay extra for it. The yeah. higher end one comes with the touch ID, uh, the small touch ID keyboard in the box. It sounds yeah. like. And yeah, we'll have to see where it goes. Um, I do. I do think there must have been a moment where they decided on the colors for these things, which is great. Great move. I've been, I have been banging the drum about colored Macs for so long now. And here we are. Uh, it's very exciting. Mm-hmm. But I also realized that at some point, everybody who's in charge of like the peripherals is like, yeah, but all our peripherals are silver aluminum. And you're now going to make seven different colors of iMac. What are we going to do? And the and it's like, well, we got two options. We could hide all the aluminum and make them plastic or something. Or we're going to need seven different keyboards and seven different mice. And uh, it that became, since there's three different keyboards and, and the mouse and the trackpad, right? So that means there's one, two, three, four, five times seven. So that's a lot. That's what, 35? Mm-hmm. Uh, 35 different SKUs of peripherals attached to these iMacs. That's a lot of keyboards and mice and trackpads. Because they could have just made Pretty them white wild. because every single one they of these have. iMacs has a white part on the front. Also, they didn't make the left and right arrow keys half width to match the half height 
uh, and to leave some space for orientation, and it makes me sad. But oh well. Yeah, they they went for aesthetics on this more than because also mm-hmm. as well something that I can't. I'm already looking at it and I can't abide. The the there's a corner radius in the keyboard, and so the right arrow key is a different shape to the left one because they've <laughs> taken the corner radius out of the right arrow key. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I'm not going to use this keyboard. That bottom line is right. I'm not going to use this keyboard. Mm-hmm. How good it is because I like other keyboards that are not this. And so I I still hope that they will one day at least maybe on the higher end iMac do Face ID at some point, or they will find yep. another place to do Touch ID for people who are not using this keyboard. But I'm not going to hold my breath because no. it seems like this is their official answer to that question, which is just use this keyboard with Touch ID. I think this is perfectly fine for most users. I am an edge case user. Great. I'm aware of that. Um, but I think that for the the iMacs that most people are going to buy, I would expect it will be one either the middle or the top end one. They're going to get this in the box, which I think is great because it is worth noting. Yeah. There is three it's different SKUs that Apple's selling of the 24 inch display, which is a 4.5K Retina display, and it's the only one they're doing right now. Like the 27 inch iMac is still available because presumably that will not get revived, uh, revised, I should say, until there is a new. M1 chip. Faster, more capable chip. Yeah. Yeah. So it's $12.99 for four colors and uh, $17.99 for the rest of the colors shipping in May. Um, your beloved uh, 21 inch is still kind of available on Apple's website. The the bad uh, yeah. fusion drive option, yeah. low, not retina. Uh, we sell this because there's somebody out there who is buying for schools or something that wants this thing that uh, won't spend more than mm-hmm. whatever its price is, 1099 on a on an iMac. But I imagine that it will it will disappear. I'm not surprised, but what I do like about it is it's it's really buried on the website. Um, like they, they don't really make much of a point of trying to sell this to you. So I think that's good, personally. Uh, but I understand why they still have it, because this is what they do. But yeah, overall, I think this is... So one of the things that uh, John Turner said is like this is the first machine built from the ground up around the M1. I mean, and if you look at this compared to the laptops, it's like they come from a different company, right? Like this iMac is, I think, very clearly a signal of the future of the Mac. And I'm telling you, if they are this impressive, I am really excited because this thing looks, it just looks fantastic. So I'm really excited about it. I have a couple other notes. By the way, I want to back up because you said something that was incorrect. It's $14.99 for the higher end. System. Apologies. $12.99 for the low, $14.99 for the high end. And then they, they, they have like an even higher skew for $16.99. Ah, yes. So I was putting seven colors into the price, which was obviously yeah, the it's two, to they don't you don't buy all the colors you only buy <laughs> one you see is the is the challenge there so yeah i can see why you did the math wrong i want to talk about the chin does there need to be a chin there i think because this is so thin it does because they literally can't tuck that that's where the computer is and everything else is the and display the speakers, speakers and the too. speakers right so the, it would be very hard to hide all that behind the display without making the whole thing thicker which they could do but they really want this to be this super thin slab it reminds me also of even the earliest days of the iMac there were always these complaints about the iMac that it was really one of the innovations Apple had in early iMacs was they essentially used laptop parts for a desktop computer. In the old days, there were laptop parts and there were desktop parts. And it was heresy almost to use laptop parts in a desktop computer. But Apple has done it a lot because they're really good at making laptops. And they say, for you know, most people, laptop performance is plenty 
on the desk too. And I was thinking about that while I was watching this rollout because this is a laptop, right? Like it's so thin. I know it's big and it's got a huge screen, but if you look at it, not only is it the M1 chip, which is in those laptops, but like it's laptop technology. This is a a pretty powerful device, but it's still kind of the, the, the idea here is uh, they're using their laptop tech to make this thing thin uh, and yes, it could be huge on the back. And if you sit in the front of it all day, you wouldn't notice that. But like, that's not what Apple wants to do with the iMac. They want it to be thin. So it looks great from all angles. And so they use their laptop tech to do this. This is basically a MacBook Air or a 13 inch MacBook Pro, except with a bigger screen. And uh, I think that's okay. Uh, but it is a choice they made. That's why the chin exists still, even though the bezels are much thinner, which is uh, which is good because the bezels, I'm looking at my iMac right now, my iMac bezels are enormous and these this iMac bezels are not. And by having the chin there and uh, the foot as well, they're color matched and they're that little color. So the color shines through. If the color was only on the back, you would never see it. So that's all good. Um, and uh, very important to me, and again, you talk about niche features, but these are available with a vase amount instead of a, a foot. So you don't take it off. You order, as has been true in the consumer iMac for quite a while now, you don't take the foot off and then attach a mount. It comes in two configurations. Um, and I was thinking about that and thinking, well, this thing is so thin and light that it would actually be really interesting on an arm. Um, my disappointment here is that if you look at that arm, I know it would be a lot of engineering work and because I know that that thing is not light. But like, I look at that arm and I think... It is a shame it's not more adjustable. It is yeah. one height, and then you, and then you tilt it, and that's all you can do is tilt it at the one height. And I do wish Apple would redesign its iMac stand to be more adjustable. And we make a lot of jokes about the Pro Display XDR stand, right? And it, mostly about how much it costs, and therefore it's probably over-engineered. But like, I would love it if Apple offered a couple different styles of iMac stand in the future, right? Not just <laughs> wait for the pro one, Jason. Well, maybe. maybe maybe the high-end one could do something like that, and that would be great because I look at this and I think, well, yeah, of course you want a simple stand that doesn't cost a lot so that you can get the price down, but it would be great if your options beyond that weren't just, well, get the vase amount and stick it on whatever versus we also have an upgraded stand. If you want a more adjustable stand, we make one that you can order on your iMac instead. And they didn't do that this time. Maybe they'll do it down the road. So the foot's a little bit disappointing just because there's no, um, you know, no real innovation there in terms of adjusting the height of your display, which isn't a kind of important thing. And that means that some of these beautiful new iMacs will end up on top of a dictionary mm-hmm. <laughs> because you got to get it at the right height. All right. This episode is brought to you by privacy.com. So look, we've all been there, right? You go to buy something online from a website that you don't know, and you get to that checkout screen and you kind of pause for a moment. I know I've been there. You're like, I don't really know this company. Do I want to go through this? And I know that there have been times where I haven't been comfortable and I've kind of backed out of the transaction. Privacy is a tool that makes it easy to manage your financial life online while keeping your most important information secure. Because by generating virtual numbers, privacy will mask your bank information so you never have to worry about giving it out to people you don't know online. 
I've had my credit card information stolen in the past, and the amount of hassle that this can cause is huge. And if privacy had been around for me then, it wouldn't have been an issue, because I wouldn't have had to get a new credit card and change my info of every service that I've used. Privacy.com is super cool. It gives you peace of mind in times when your only option is to enter your credit card information for a purchase. You can take back the control of your payments. You decide who can charge your card, how much, and how often, and you can close these like virtual cards down at any time. It's really, really clever because it generates these virtual numbers and you can have as many as you want. You can also make sure that you're never accidentally billed twice or upgraded to another service price without your consent because you can set those limits. And also say you're like wanting to cancel a service and you think to yourself, uh, they might try and charge me again. You can just shut it down after you've canceled it and there's no more number for them to charge. It's very, very clever. Privacy is partnered also with the good folks at 1Password. You can create, use, and save privacy cards directly within your 1Password dashboard. All the virtual cards created in 1Password will have the same security benefits as your other privacy cards, and you can set the spend limits, create single-use or merchant-locked cards whenever you want. That is, if you are a 1Password user, this is an incredibly powerful thing to have. Head to privacy.com upgrade, and you can sign up for an account right now. New customers will automatically get $5 to spend on their first purchase. That's free money. Go to privacy.com upgrade and sign up right now. A thanks to Privacy for their support of this show and Relay FM. Jason, they did it. What they do? They, those mad people at Apple, they did it. M1 in the iPad Pro. Yeah, well, this is why I lost the draft. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and like we said at the top, we, we knew that this was essentially what they would do because we knew the M1. When they announced the M1, we're like, yeah, that's the A14X, right? Like they're going to make an iPad chip. They've already been making a more capable version of their iphone chip as a variant for the ipad for a while and so when they announced the m1 it looked very much like that and so the question was are they just going to use that chip in the ipad pro i think the answer obviously was yes always clearly that was what they were going to do the question was just what is the marketing behind it and what they did was they chose to call it m1 because they've been beating the drum on m1 and and so why not, uh, honestly, why not just take all of the work that they've done that is accrued to the M1 and roll it into the iPad Pro because it allows the iPad Pro to kind of like get the glow of all of the praise that's been given to the M1. As a result, though, also, Mike, right, it's been since 2018, fall of 2018, I believe, was it, or was it 20, fall of it 2018, right, since the the iPad pad pro with the a14x came out is that right i think so it's been a long time because the last update or sorry the a12x yeah Yeah. it's been a long time because the last update was last spring and it was just that you know another gpu core update and lidar right so but so in terms of the amount of time we have been living with essentially the same ipad pro a12z well, yeah, it was A12X Maybe. and then it was A12Z. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. So yeah, the A12, right. because the A12Z just added the one core. So A12X mm-hmm. um, to this, like, it's a, it's a big deal. I think that there's, obviously, Apple will talk about how much faster it is, and it is. It's a much more powerful chip. I think a lot of people are still straining to find ways to use the power on 2018's iPad Pro, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's always been the challenge. That was the 
the thing that we talked about a lot back in 2018 was great that there's all this power, but how can you use it on the iPad? And those are software limitations. Mm -hmm. So I still have those questions, even though this is a much more powerful chip. Now, I, I sit there in Ferrite Recording Studio and I export out, I compress a project in order to, when I'm done with it, I compress it and compresses it into a zip file. And that takes a while. And I think, oh, on M1, this would go a lot faster. So that I can find some cases where I want it to be faster, but really what I want is is um, on the software side to take advantage of all this power that they poured in there because this thing with an M1 is going to be that much more powerful than the previous iPad Pro, which was already probably more power than most people could use. If I can run iPad apps on my M1 Mac, why can't I run M1 Mac apps on my iPad now? Like... That's the question that we're now, like Apple have done this to themselves. <laughs> we're mm. going to be asking these kinds of questions now. Like, look, we had spoken about this so many times. Fundamentally, we understood that the M1 is a variant of the A14 chip, right? Like, it just seemed obvious that that's the way that they did it. Apple, Apple never said it. Well, now they've said it, right? Like, in, in, like that the M1 can run in both an iPad running iPad OS and a Mac running Mac OS. So now we're going to, these kinds of questions will start to get asked more and more directly. Because if we can go one way, why can't we go the other? Or why can't you do the work necessary to go the other way? Like, why can't I run Mac OS on my iPad Pro now? Well, I mean, it's not, it's not a Mac, it's an iPad, but yes, it's a harder question to ask. I, I yeah. still had, you know, I had that item that we didn't pick in the draft about like Mac compatibility. It's like, I don't think it's impossible to imagine a scenario where there's a virtual Mac that you could run or something like that. Like down the road, these, look, the choice of calling this an M1 and an iPad Pro, this is Apple deliberately pushing the iPad and the Mac together. Yeah. They've been doing that for a couple of years now, right? Mm -hmm. The whole Catalyst conversation is about pushing the iPad and the Mac together. When they talk about Catalyst apps running on the Mac, they talk about iPad apps. It's a path from a good iPad app to a good Mac app. So I don't know what their intent is. I know that Apple's intent fundamentally is to keep the iPad as a touch tablet at its base, but it can go to all sorts of interesting places. and. So, you know, how far does that go? If you add, you can already add a keyboard and a trackpad to an iPad. At what point could you not say, all right, why can't I run something from the Mac on this? It's practically a Mac already. And so I think, look, they, they've put an incredible amount of power uh, into this iPad Pro, you know, including adding Thunderbolt 4, a Thunderbolt USB 4. That's never going to not be confusing. <laughs> and really, they haven't, in my opinion, really delivered on anything from the iPad OS side that would suggest why you would do this. So my hopes now are focused solely on WWDC because I'm now expecting Apple to show me enhancements in the software side that argue why this amount of power should be in an iPad. Because one of the things that I was thinking was convi I was convinced about is that, oh, they're going to bump the battery life. But th there was no indication to suggest that that was the case, right? I was like, well, right. you know, surely they're just going to increase the battery life now because the battery life's so good on my MacBook Pro. It's better than my iPad. The iPad already benefited from that. 
because it was already mm-hmm. running on Apple's chips. So it, they already were optimizing for that. And they can't, you know, the iPad has to be one, a single plane. And so they don't, they have to stuff everything in there, including battery and display. And that's harder. And so there's less battery. No, I, all I understand all of that. But like my thinking was just like, well, th- surely there's going to be some benefit that I can see right now. Because ultimately the things that Apple show you that the iPads can do, like, I mean, it can already do all this stuff. Like, no yeah. one, you know, no, uh, even the most intense iPad users are not being like, oh, I feel so, like, well, handcuffed with this. Let, let's say, I mean, rejoice if you're somebody who uses a, an iPad in, I guess, mirrored mode in a pro display XDR or is using it for, for output while you use a video app on the iPad screen and then you're outputting to the pro display XDR because the new iPad Pro will support the xdr at full resolution and this is my point too which is uh, like we said last week okay what's the story about thunderbolt why do you have it and they they did what i thought they would do in saying oh fast storage for video or photography isn't that great which is like okay that is what i would have predicted is the bare minimum if you can't say anything else about Thunderbolt, at least you can say it's fast importing photos into Lightroom and it's fast importing uh, 4K HDR video into your video editing app that isn't Final Cut Pro because Final Cut Pro doesn't run on iPad, by the way, uh, still. Well, I just say while we've been recording today, there has been some information shared that apparently Apple has made reference on some press briefing calls that Final Cut for iPad is in the works. Well... We will, I, I'll, I'll believe that when I see it, Me too. but yeah. this is, this is, I think the point here, which is that Thunderbolt port is nice, but has no real story behind it. And zooming out a little bit, honestly, isn't that the case with the iPad? It's sort of been the case with the iPad Pro for a few years now, which is sort of like, okay, we get it. You are building amazing hardware. What can we do with it? And believe me, I am trying all sorts of interesting things with my iPad and, and, and Federico is, and other people are And like, we, we, there are people who are doing lots of really interesting things with the iPad, but the iPad's hardware is not the problem. So mm-hmm. if, if they are going to do something like you know, they, they nod toward the pro display XDR, but the use of it right now is so limited. It does make me think, you know, this is a great setup for a new version of iPad OS that actually will properly take advantage of external displays and, you know, uh, whatever, whatever other stuff, high speed, uh, data transfers and all that in a bigger story, or, uh, this is perfect Final Cut Pro on the iPad Pro, so it should be there. So that's great. We'll get there. It's just in this announcement, we got the bare minimum, which yeah. is, well, yeah, you can plug in faster stuff now. This reminded me very much of the USB-C edition. When they put USB-C on the iPad Pro, right. they kind of couldn't really do anything. <laughs> great. Can I plug in a, a, a thumb drive and read the contents? And at that no. point, it was like, no, you can't. Um <laughs> Mm, so again, no. I really feel like that. I mean, look, this is a cool iPad Pro. There's other things to it which makes it cool. It it feels like a very pro iPad Pro, but they've taken some moves, like calling it M1 and and then putting Thunderbolt on it, which feels like okay. I am confident they have a story for this, but we're not going to find that out for another seven weeks. But I feel confident yeah. 
that iPad OS will take advantage of this. Like I, I do feel very confident about that. I hope so. Center stage, which is a new feature that's coming as part of the addition of an ultra wide camera, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. This is one of my favorite features to this uh, to this iPad. I thought I, it looked super cool. I feel like we were just talking about this too, but not in the context of the iPad. We were talking about this in the context of an Amazon Echo like thing for from Apple that had a screen on it or something that was on a TV. Mm-hmm. But the idea is the same, which is you get a wide lens, you can take a really high quality um, view of everybody in a room, and then you use machine learning to do some intelligent zooming on the subjects so that a stationary device will dynamically photograph whoever is uh, a participant in a video call. And mm-hmm. the, the, the other way I could describe this is, do you ever watch a TV show or a movie where somebody's on a, on a it's usually sci-fi because it was the future, uh, a video call with somebody, and the person talking, there's like camera movement and stuff, where it's like they're zooming in or they're panning over or they're zooming back, and you're like, wait a second, I thought this was a video phone. Why is the camera moving around? And it's because they directed it like a TV show and not like an actual video camera and I mean, th- those scenes make me laugh but this is that this is that which is of course silly 20th century mortal as i'm watching you know star trek or something like that um well in the future there'll just be a really high quality camera and an intelligent computer will choose where to point the camera <laughs> and that's what this is basically so um it uh, we'll we'll see how uncanny it is in practice but it's a cool idea I think it's a really smart idea. And there's also an API for it. Federico confirmed that. Um, so, you know, it won't just be FaceTime that uses this. Uh, what is it? Open standard. Remember FaceTime is an open standard? Yeah. Uh, but it's not like that. It'd be an API well, for this. Well, it makes sense. So, so, so if you use Zoom or whatever, mm-hmm. it's going to be able to tap into this. And, and, and I think it's really cool. I, I like this feature. I wouldn't have expected that. But it feels like a very post-pandemic world feature. Yeah. It's funny that it's on an iPad because an iPad is a camera you actually can move. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we have this. We do Zoom. Uh, conversations with um with family and we have the same issue which is it's like getting a good angle for shooting us versus getting a good angle for seeing the people and mm-hmm. all of that like it's a it's kind of a mess and seriously mike when we were talking about that apple tv HomePod combo soundbar kind of thing and yep. they said it might have a camera on it for facetime it's like this is what it would do this mm-hmm. is literally the feature they would if that product exists it will have center stage the idea is it's going to shoot everything in your living room and when you do a facetime it's going to zoom in on the people who are participating in the call because that you can't move that camera it's just going to be locked in place and that's probably what they would do if they did a home pod with a screen and a camera that was like the Amazon Echo show, they would use center stage. It might even be something that they bring eventually to the Mac as well, right? Because that's those those can be sometimes, especially desktop Macs, more stationary kind of things too. So it's fascinating to see them doing this. Again, I want to see how uncanny it is. Is it weird or do, does it seem natural? Um, does it move around a lot or does it settle? I don't know. Liquid Retina XDR display on the 12.9 inch it is a mini led display it features 10,000 tiny leds the previous 12.9 had 72 okay so i'm going to add a a callback here to what i just said about apple builds all this great hardware 
Um, we get it. You make great hardware, which is as a 12.9 inch iPad Pro user, having them say, well, it's basically going to be like a, a Pro Display XDR now. We've raised the price <laughs> mm-hmm. and we've done this incredible engineering to make you have this incredibly better display. It's like, that's great. Personally, I don't use the iPad Pro for that, for stuff that needs that feature. Again, that's fine. It doesn't need to be for everybody. But I had that moment where I just thought to myself, I guess Apple knows the game it's playing here. The game it's playing here is they're going to load their all of their hardware with these high-end features that could be used by pros. And everybody who's not a pro looks at them and goes, well, like if it's good enough for the pros, it's certainly going to be good enough for me. And they buy it. Mm-hmm. And and so that's why, you know, most people are not going to shoot high frame rate uh, HDR 4K video on their iPhone Pro, right? But you could. And isn't that cool? That's what this feature looks like to me with a mini LED. It's like, I'm sure it's very impressive. I'm sure it's going to be great for watching movies and for editing photos and all of those things. It. I did have a moment where I thought, is this overkill? <laughs> like, yeah. to put a Pro Display XDR in an iPad? Like... Um, the iPad Pro itself is overkill in a lot of ways. I think you're right. I think maybe it is an overkill product in general, so why not more overkill? I would have been much more excited about this myself. Well, for two things. One, if it was on the 11, but also if if it didn't increase the price. I think that that does make it a little bit like... <sighs> How much more has it gone up? What did the, uh, f- the fourth generation start? I don't remember, and Apple's website isn't helping me. But it started nine ninety nine. I think it was nine ninety nine. I think it was seven ninety nine and nine ninety nine, and now it's seven ninety nine and ten ninety nine. Which goes absolutely a prediction that I would have made yesterday that didn't come yep. true is that I thought with the existence of the iPad Air that that eleven inch iPad Pro would get a higher price. They didn't. I don't think they, didn't they really added do anything to it. What yeah, they could mm-hmm. what they could justify. Like, look, it yeah. also gets it's an M one. It also but, gets the you know it gets everything except for the new display. Right. So that new display will happen at some point down the road to the 11-inch iPad Pro, at which point it will be $899. Which is what we saw from them, you know, all the way back in the the iPad Pro. This has happened. It's only really been the last year or two where they've actually released them exactly the same time with the same features. They had this for the first few revisions, like this one will come out, and then there was a small one, and a small one had this, and then the big one came out, and it had the, like, they, you know, they've kind of been out of step a little bit. Um, But, I mean, this does seem like a really cool iPad. Um, uh, yeah, it's not. I don't think this is an iPad for me anymore. Uh, like I use an 11 inch, and I use it a lot, but I'm using it for uh most of the time more iPady things. Right. This is my iPad, so am I gonna get one? Yeah, of course I am. Yeah, I mean you didn't upgrade though, right? Like you're a couple of years away f- from when you upgraded. Is that right? Yeah, I mean right because the last one had nothing that. Uh-huh. <laughs> to commend it you know especially and the magic keyboard works with both models and all that but this one um you know again i'm a i'm a 12.9 inch ipad pro user and there's probably not a lot that would could happen to to change that and so i am interested in this because of the processor honestly more than the display just having the faster processor because i do use at least some things i use on my ipad do stress out the processor and so uh but but you're right also there's this question of yeah, but in a in a few months, will it perhaps be more functional? Never buy hardware because you're hoping that the OS update will enable more things, but it's something to watch that this hardware may be that much more impressive come summer 
when they've announced what the next iPad OS features are, if they really can roll out some things that take advantage of this hardware. Yeah, like I th- I could imagine uh, we get one of these for Adina. So she is a, a comic artist and uses the iPad Pro solely for that. And I could imagine better screen, brighter screen would be helpful for her in a bunch of ways. And she uses Procreate and really pushes Procreate. And she uses a mild 2018 iPad or yeah, the, the, or 2019, whenever 2018 one, and the 2020 and now 2021 iPad Pros, they have more RAM in them, and Procreate can have more layers in it with those devices. So that might be enough for her to wanna to wanna get one of these. Yeah. So maybe there'll be one in my home, uh, but I, I can't imagine upgrading even my 11 inch until Apple show me that I will want to do that <laughs> post WWDC. Because, I mean, I, I love my 11-inch iPad Pro. It's my favorite iPad Pro uh, that Apple's ever made. I think it's fantastic. It's just like it's perfect. Um, and I've said that. I think it's. I think for most people, it's the best one. Oh, we didn't mention 5G. Of course, they put 5G on it. Uh, 5G, and they put, what? It can go up to two terabytes of storage now, I think. Yeah. For the Which they tried to give that. examples for. It's like, you might need this if you're, I don't know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's that. So I think the, this iPad yep. Pro, it's all of the things I expected plus some additional good parts. Like, I th- expected to see the USB 4 Thunderbolt thing, but I didn't expect them to have anything to tell me today why I would want that. And that's what happened. I'm excited because it's an actual proper update to the product, the, to the iPad that I use the most. But there's, there's, there needs to be more here. There needs to be more to this story. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. If you have a website, what purpose does it serve? Whether it's driving sales of your products, collecting leads for your business, or providing customer service of a contact form, when these critical transactions fail, you lose out on important customers, not to mention the bad experience for your users as well. But there is a solution, transaction monitoring from Pingdom. Starting at just $10 a month, transaction monitoring runs checks 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and will alert you when cart checkout forms or login pages fail before they affect your customers and your business. Pingdom will notify you the moment there is a failure over SMS, email, or via your favorite apps like Slack, OpsGenie, or PagerDuty. Depending on what's being monitored or the severity of the outage, you can customize who's alerted and how they get the notification. Don't let your users discover a problem with your website. You want to be the first to know. And it's super easy to get started. Just go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you're ready to buy, use the code UPGRADE at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and RelayFM. It actually happened. AirTags are a product that exists in Apple's lineup now. I couldn't stop laughing for a while. Yeah. And and Lauren looked at me and I said, you got to understand this product's been rumored for two years and it actually happened. It's got the name we thought. It explains, hey, everybody, remember the iPhone event in 2019 where they unveiled the U1 chip and it didn't do anything? Well, now it does something. And it'll help you find your AirTag, even if it's in the um, cave that's un- that's in your couch cushions. <laughs> I like that. It was a cute little ad. That it was did. a cute ad. It was beautiful, too. There isn't really much to say about this because it's it's everything we thought. Um, so, you know, the you can buy them for $29 for one, $99 for four. 
Uh, it uses the Find My Network and all the Bluetooth stuff, but they have U1 chips in them, so you can do what they call precise finding if you have a U1 device, which means you can basically just keep moving your iPhone around until it's like, hey, it's here. Uh, they have tools to prevent unwanted people tracking, and they have a bunch of accessories for physically connecting them to things. Leather loops, keychains, other types of loops. They have an Hermes option as well, which comes engraved with an Hermes logo on it, because I guess why not? Um, and they're available later this month uh, to... to Oh, they're pre-ordered Friday. Everything else is pre-ordering later in the month, but pre-order Friday coming uh, by the end of April. I mean, I do need a new keyring. Like, I have a keyring that I don't like, and I've been thinking, like, oh, I want a new keyring, and I want to try this product out. I'm going to get one. I'm going to get a little tag on it. And, I mean, I'll probably get a four-pack and then also have one from, like, my backpack or whatever. Uh, I want to see what this thing's all about. I actually, from a fundamental level, I like the idea because I think Find My is really cool. And I like the idea of being able to have more things, arbitrary things, in Find My. And I love that it's a user-replaceable coin cell battery. I think that's fantastic, right? Because I could have easily imagined them saying, like, it comes with a charge, and when it's done, it's done, right? Or, like, you need to charge it via lightning. So you have this adapted charger thing every now and then. So, like, I'm happy all that's there. This isn't an exciting product because we've known about it all of these details basically for two years and have been talking about it at least every couple of months. But it is a thing that I think makes sense. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, yeah, cool. Like as a customer, I'm, I'm up for it. Yeah. I don't know if I have very many things that I would actually use this on, but I'm intrigued by it. And I like that this is, they are really pushing the engraving hard here, but I get mm-hmm. it right. Like basically they want you to engrave these things with a custom initial or emoji or whatever and then you identify that that's what it is and you're like oh that's this one um and where is it so you know interesting stuff we've talked about the technology behind it it is a privacy-based thing that is you know there's low energy bluetooth and it's finding ids that are obscured and locations and everything is sort of like handed off in a way that you don't know who saw it and you don't know where you you just know that it was seen and where it was seen um and you know, I think that's all really interesting. We had, uh, we talked about stalking on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that it does is there's, there's air tag detection. So like if somebody plants, like it's like somebody plants an air tag on you or on in your car or whatever, um, it will actually notice if there's an air tag that is, that is not near its owner but near you. And if it, if it like, it will send you an alert saying there is an air tag near you, um, which is interesting. And you can actually find the air tag. And this has two purposes, right? One is, Oh, did you know that there's this person, this object that's separated from its person and you could actually like maybe find it and return it to the person. But also if somebody tries to track you, you will know, at least if you have an Apple device, I wonder if there's also a, uh, if it chirps or something every now and then to let it know that it's out in the out in the wild somewhere, I don't know. But they're they're trying to make they're trying to anticipate this stuff, which I think is interesting too. I like the amount of engineering that seems to have gone into just that one specific part of it. You know, like it is there. It's one of these things where it's like whose responsibility, right? Like 
Is it Apple's responsibility to do this? I think it's very uh, easy to argue yes, but I also could imagine an argument of no, right? I don't think that would be the right argument, but I could imagine someone making it. I'm happy that they have they've gone to this kind of level for adding a feature like that and it seems to be so built into the product which shows like i mean we see this a lot where there are decisions that companies make that seem to be like you didn't consult everyone on this decision and this seems like something where from the beginning they have had this in mind and I, i i appreciate that as a feature i think it's cool there's um there are lots of accessories apple makes them other people are making them belkin's got one um, the one that made me laugh was that there's an Hermes uh, set of accessories. So if you want an expensive Hermes leather key ring or a luggage tag, you can get those. Um, I I know that they won't call it this, so I will call it this. These It's an um, Hermes tag? Air Hermes. Yeah, Hermes. Tag? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh! Air- man, that took me too long. Yeah, okay. A-I-R-M-E-G-R-A-V-S. Air H E R T A G, sure that could be air tag. Anyway, there's something there. We'll workshop it. We'll workshop it. But uh, it's here. It's never has so much virtual ink been spilled for such a kind of minor Mm -hmm. product. Uh, But it's interesting. Like that's that's where now in the light of day, it's like, oh yeah, this is kind of interesting, and some people will like it, and people will find uses for it. My only other air tag comment here is. Um, twenty nine dollars for one, ninety nine dollars for four. It's actually priced more reasonably than I thought it would be. So, yeah, there it is. Apple TV. <laughs> I can't believe this. So the Apple TV 4K <laughs> continues to exist as a brand name. They've just put a new processor in it, the A12 Bionic. Mm-hmm. Um, the big new feature that that enables is high frame rate HDR, which they're working on partner with partners in or something. Okay. This is one of those classic things where it's like, Hey, it can do this. You can't watch anything. (laughs) Yeah. Other than, (laughs) other than the high frame, uh, rate HDR video you shot on your iPhone 12. Right. Like literally that's, that's what you've got. Uh Um, however, how do you make this product interesting? Few things, right? Again, can we, there's the color balance stuff where they're going to use sensors on your iPhone to detect, Mm -hmm the output of your TV, it's like, stop even messing with your TV. We will filter the output of the device to make it look good on your TV, which th- there are other devices that do stuff like this. Obviously, um, uh, various game consoles will actually have you hold up like a controller or something and they, they will do some calibration. Usually it's for, it's for um, delay. It's for like sync detection and stuff, but this is kind of like that, but I like that. It's a great idea that what, how can we make it so that, um, it looks good on your TV without you actually having to know what looks good. <laughs> it's, I like that. The, the, the phone will do it. Your color, uh, you're doing it. a color fo- profile for your television. This is a great feature. Like this is the kind of feature. So like, okay, one of the lines that, they, that the, the presenter mentioned is like, what, you know, it's kind of, why do you want this? Because it has power that smart TVs just don't have. And my favorite thing was that power then was just a list mostly of services that Apple provides. Yeah. It's like, it's not really power. But you look, if you're going to still charge me $179 for this thing, you got to make it worth my while. Uh, and I actually think this color balancing thing, it's obviously not worth it for that, but this is one of those things where it's like, okay, this is one of those things where like now that I am in the Apple ecosystem, I get a benefit like that. So I'm up for that. Like, that sounds great. Like, this is a good feature. Thank you for adding it. I'm excited about it. But the best thing, there's a new remote. 
and it's visually, I mean, I haven't used the thing, but visually it's like every complaint I had seems to have been addressed. It looks fantastic. Yeah, and actually the thing that I was afraid of losing was that I actually kind of like the trackpad on the Apple TV for cer- certain things like scrubbing. Yeah. And uh-huh. so they've got, they, it's a five-way click pad with swiping gestures and you can scrub around the ring uh, to do the scrubbing gesture. And it's like, yeah, it's the actually, iPod. that right, it's, it's very much a classic iPod kind of thing, yeah. which I swear I mentioned at some point in the last couple of months is could they go back to just something like the iPod? Um, and, and here it is. So this is like a baby of the front row remote and the Apple TV remote. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then there's a Siri button on the side. I'm sure that won't be annoying and you won't accidentally touch it or something, but we'll have to see, right? In the end, it's got to be used by real people in the real world and we'll see how it works. But it, it certainly seems like Apple has finally, um, tried to address all of the problems with the Siri remote. It's much bigger in all of the dimensions. It's longer, it's huh. chunkier. And I think that's great, though, to be honest, because that makes it more findable. One of the biggest issues in my home is like, it just gets lost in the sofa. Like, yeah. there's like, you know, a piece of paper on top of it, and you'd never know there was a remote can under you, it. Can you find this with the Find My Network? Do they do something with that, maybe? Uh, I mean, it should have you. I mean, it should have a right. U1 in it, but I don't think it does. Or, but it or just, or just, even if it's just Bluetooth, low, low energy, something in there. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, I'm just saying, um, but yeah, that's it's something, right? It's uh, still costs 179 dollars. Still has storage options. Yeah, I mean that's just ridiculous. Like, I can't believe that they're still doing the storage options thing on this. You can get a 32 or 64 gigabyte, and the 64 gigabyte is 200 dollars more expensive. I don't know who's buying that 64 gigabyte Apple TV or what they're doing for it. Like, I really don't understand it. Um, yeah, I I think that this is. The remote is super cool. Uh, I'm into it overall. Um, you know, like I, I honestly wasn't, I wasn't expecting a change to the remote at all. Like I, re- I didn't think they would change it, and they've done everything I would have wanted from it. Wait, did I say two hundred dollars more expensive? You're just raising all the prices today. So I meant it was twenty dollars more expensive. I am making everything more expensive today. Mm-hmm. But this, this remote is kind of everything I would have wanted it to be, and makes it, I think, worth. For me, I'm gonna I'm gonna upgrade to this. So uh, it's funny. Like this is the one product that I immediately knew I was buying. Uh, <laughs> everything announced today, it's like yes, I'm in on it. So because like I'm, I'm sure you can buy the remote. Uh, I know you can buy the remote. I assume it will work with the old one. But I'm into those other features like this the the color thing and all that sort of stuff. I assume that that's just part of the new uh, Apple TV, not. And it's, yeah, it's part of the new chip, so I don't mind upgrading for for that. So I'm, I'm, this will be a product uh, that that will be making its way to the Hurley household. Before we wrap up, a couple of tiny extra things that popped up. It's a purple iPhone 12. Yeah, surprising. Uh, Apple Card family seems cool. Uh, I would really like them to try and expand the Apple Card outside of America at some point. That's what I was kind of hoping they were going to say today, but that wasn't it. Um, and there's a Ted Lasso no, trailer. Yeah, I'm excited about the Apple Card thing. Just you know, yeah, I have I signed up for one, but it's just me, and now it can be the rest of the people in my family because it's a good deal, especially if you're Apple paying for something. So I'm very happy about that, and that it feels very much like they are addressing some of the issues that have been uh, they've been criticized for, um, which I think is interesting because I think it's very much like Apple chose the ways it wanted to break the rules of credit cards 
when it launched Apple Card. And then it went, and everything else is like, okay, you just do everything else the way you always do credit cards. And then they got a lot of criticism because they're like, hey, you said you were going to change how you do credit cards, but you didn't do this. And you didn't do this. And this is an example of that, of Apple being like, all right, so next round, <laughs> here's another thing that we want to change and based on on criticism and feedback they've got. So I think that's a good sign. And I'm happy that they've done that. Um, Ted Lasso, I just, I love the fact that when we were talking about Apple TV Plus, there were all these shows that were like, oh, these are the launch shows. These are going to be big. Which one's going to break out? Are people going to watch it? Are people going to want to do it? And even now... I think it's funny, even now, that when Tim Cook talks about it, he's like, "An Apple TV Plus is great. It's got things like, uh, like everybody loves the morning show, and then there's Oprah, um, but Ted Lasso." And I think it's like, okay, first off, you're still trying to make the morning show happen. Okay, um, it's fine. It's fine. There's nothing wrong What's with it. I just funny like. Kind? Yeah, well, it was used in some demos, but yeah, I know. For All Mankind, uh, having a great second season finale is uh, Friday. television show. So, but I think it is funny that in the end it's like, yeah, but it's it's Ted Lasso, right? Like, it's actually, it's, it's actually Ted Lasso. That's our breakout show. And this was the admission of that, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> it was like, they literally showed the season two Ted Lasso trailer in an Apple event. Uh, then, you know, it's July 23rd is the announcement. Yes. Uh, of the of the release date of the premiere of Ted Lasso season two, how far we've come that, um, but Apple has recognized it. Like, no, Ted Lasso has all the momentum. That's the one that everybody's talking about. And I just want to say my favorite little Easter egg from this event. If you watch to the end of the the scrolling credits at the end, where they talk about how they made this with the the rules of the county health departments and all of those things, the very last thing that begins to scroll is Ted Lasso's biscuit recipe, and it starts to show the first line of the recipe, and then it goes to black, and the Apple logo comes up, and that's the end of the show. That's a good. I didn't see that because I'd already furiously started making notes. Uh, but yeah, that's a very good Easter egg. It's, you it's interesting to me how the they've joke. leaned into to Ted Lasso like this. I mean, obviously they had to, right? Because like it's such it's their big success. You know, it's kind of funny to be like, and Ted's like, uh, Tim's like, oh, I lo- oh, I love Ted Lasso. It's my favorite show. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, yep. Tim, I'm sure you like it, but like. You know, you went to the premiere of the morning show. You actually had a premiere for the morning show, right? right? Like, you know, Ted Lasso snuck its way in there. Um, mm-hmm. but, but it's you can't deny it. And that's actually nope. the, the sign of, of Apple TV. Mat- I was going to say maturing, Apple TV plus maturing. But really, it's just like, look, they had a word of mouth hit. It's it's big. Like, they need one. You, you want to have people. You, you want more than one. But like, there's this question, like, well, what is it? Is it really the morning show? Is it for all mankind? Like, what are what are people talking about? And then Ted Lasso happened. It's like, oh, there it is. That's it. That's the one. So I think that's it. It's a big event. There was a lot of stuff. It was exciting. Yeah, yeah. This was pretty good. They they did in an hour. They packed it in. They should have taken more time. They should have gone above seventy five minutes. I say. <laughs> you, would, you would say that, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, I'm excited to see more about the product. Uh, I'm very excited next week uh, when we get to talk to Colleen and Nevbri on the show from Apple. They're going to be talking about all about the iMac. 
Um, so that's going to be really great. Uh, if you want to find um, links and info and stuff like that about the episode, you can go to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 349. If you would like to get longer ad-free episodes of Upgrade every single week, you can go to getupgradeplus.com. Hey, podcast subscriptions and memberships. Remember those? Oh, that's uh, an we, interesting we idea. One, so you can go and do that. Uh, if you want to find Jason online, you can go to sixcolors.com. I'm sure Jason will be writing lots uh, over the coming days about what we've seen today. Um, and you can also find Jason. He's at Jasonell. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Uh, let me take a moment to tell you about another show here on Relay FM, and that's Focused. If you're struggling to focus, you're not alone. With all the distractions we have these days, focus seems like a superpower. David Sparks and Mike Schmitz can show you how. Go to relay.fm slash focused or search for focused wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Upgrade. And next week, we'll be back with episode 350. Thank you so much for your support. If you're a member especially, uh, thank you to Pingdom, Privacy.com, and Gabby for their support of this episode as well. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you.